Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now, I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is and how we fit into the story he is telling. Even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme. God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's Word together and discover what extraordinary truths He has for our lives. Hey everyone, I'm so glad you tuned in today. I absolutely love this section of scripture we are going to talk about. Even though it's familiar to me, it is rich with meaning and application. Each time I return to it, I get a fresh insight. So I hope the same is true for you. I'm talking about what is commonly referred to as the armor of God. And if your backstory is like mine, been a churchgoer a good portion of your life, this has no doubt been the centerpiece of many sermons and Sunday school lessons. These verses make great lessons because they're based on imagery and have easy applications to our modern life. But if you're relatively new to learning what the Bible has to say, the armor of God might make you think God needs armor for an impending battle. Well, I can assure you, God does not need armor. The armor we're going to study today is for us. And if you've never considered yourself to be part of a spiritual war, let me start by encouraging you to rethink that. We need this armor because we are battling an unseen enemy. So let's get started because there is so much here for us to talk about. We are starting today in chapter 6 of Ephesians at verse 10. I'll read the first few verses of this section from the ESV version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, in the first verse I read, the first word was finally, which signals us that Paul is winding down a series of thoughts he's had. And if you've listened along with previous podcasts on Ephesians, you know that the second half of this letter has a lot of specific instructions to Paul's audience. He started off chapter four with, therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and has given several iterations of walk in this way since then. At this point in his communication, he's going to give his last set of instructions, so he clues his audience in with the word, finally, and he tells them to be strengthened in the strength of his power, and the his, of course, is Christ. I love that right there. Strengthened by his power, not by our power. Notice that we're not told to dig deep or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, or find strength from our inner being. No. Be strong in the strength of His power. We have access to the power of the Lord. If you are a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit lives in you, 
And he can provide the power needed to strengthen you. Next, Paul says, clothe yourselves with the full armor of God. This is where we get the phrase armor of God. It's spiritual armor that God provides to us. And why would we need armor? Well, he says those two words I love so much, so that. If you're a regular listener, you know I love composition clues, which are words that authors use to clue us into the meaning that they're trying to convey. So that typically means cause and effect. Put your armor of God on so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. When we have the armor of God on, that's the cause, then we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the effect. Guess what happens if we don't have our armor on? Exactly. We won't be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 then elaborates on this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Up until this point, Paul has focused on very tangible human relationships. We just finished a series of instructions for husbands and wives, fathers and children, and slaves and masters. Before that, Paul instructed them on how to talk, how to serve, how to have the right attitude, and all kinds of things that were practical aspects of how they lived. Now he shifted to a more spiritual scene. Our real struggle is against things we cannot see or touch. Remember our original audience. Don't forget that we are reading someone else's mail. And those people did not grow up like you or have the same life experiences as me. And they certainly didn't live in the culture you or I live in. This was written to churches in and around Ephesus during the Greco-Roman Empire. And if you'll remember, Ephesus was steeped in pagan worship of false gods. And Ephesus was also home to the temple of Artemis. In the book of Acts, Luke recounts a scene in Ephesus where a silversmith named Demetrius, who made a huge profit off the worship of Artemis, tried to get a mob to kill Paul because Paul's preaching was negatively impacting his business profits. Paul and his companions had been exercising evil spirits. In fact, for context, let's take a quick peek at Acts 19, where Luke writes these words. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
Wow. So we know from these verses that Ephesus had its share of false gods and evil spirits. There was definitely a spiritual war happening around these people. It makes sense then that a letter to this young church would include some instructions about spiritual forces at work. And I can't help but believe that these verses apply very much to us. Our struggle is also with spiritual forces. All throughout the Bible, we see evidence of our spiritual enemy. And if we pay attention, we see evidence of him in our lives as well. He's not visible to our human eyes, but he's real. There are real spiritual forces of evil at work in this world. And what's more, our enemy is scheming against us. The only way to be prepared is to put on the armor of God. Verse 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Notice Paul is repeating himself. He's already said, clothe yourself with the armor of God. Now he says, take up the whole armor of God. It's two different verbs to clothe and to take up. So he's saying it twice and ensuring they get it. Put it on. Take it up. He wants to convey this is something you need to do. And it's not a partial dressing up. No, the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. The fact that he's repeated this is a clue of how important it is. Repetition always means emphasis. He's given us one cause and effect already. We are to use God's armor so that we can stand against the enemy. And in verse 13, he uses the word therefore to repeat the cause and effect relationship. Therefore, put on the armor of God, that's the cause, so that you can withstand the evil day. That's the effect. The armor of God is used to help us stand against, or it could be said to withstand our enemy. Now, the imagery here in the original Greek is to stand strong against heavy opposition. Now, I live in an area that experiences hurricane force winds at time. And this imagery reminds me of going down to our beach about 24 hours before a hurricane arrives and trying to stand against the early wind bands, which are usually between 40 and 50 miles per hour. It takes tremendous effort just to stand still. We have a similar task ahead of us spiritually. Satan wants us to fall. He wants us to wobble and hobble and move tentatively if we move at all. He'd prefer us to just give up and sit down instead of pressing forward. But Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So the first part of the armor is a belt. And in this analogy that Paul is creating, he likens the belt to truth. The belt in a Roman soldier's armor was more prominent than a belt you or I might wear with an outfit. The belt not only circled the waist, but also had decorative straps that hung down. Some sources say that the belt helped identify the soldier by rank and reward. If that is the case, isn't this a good parallel for us? The truth that encircles our lives should identify us as believers in Jesus. Since our enemy is referred to as the father of lies, it makes sense that we should put on a belt of truth. Our sword which we will get to momentarily, will hang on our belt. So tuck that imagery away for a few minutes. So back to the text. 
Paul says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we've got a belt representing truth and a breastplate representing righteousness. Now, a breastplate covered the chest and neck area. It protected the vital organs from arrows and sores. So what does it mean that this represents righteousness? One way to make this connection is to define righteousness as quite simply doing the right thing. And the right thing is defined by God. Our righteousness originates in our heart. And in the first century world, the belly area was considered the seat of the emotions, or what we would figuratively call the heart. Righteousness protects our vitality. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it are the sources of life. How do we guard our hearts? How do we protect ourselves? With our choices. By making choices that are aligned with righteousness. And remember, we are to take up our armor. Just because we are Jesus followers doesn't mean we are automatically making righteous choices. We do have Jesus's righteousness already applied to our eternal security, but we have to continually choose righteousness to choose to wear that spiritual breastplate as we live out our everyday ordinary lives, making choices about our actions, words, attitudes, and thoughts. There's a good chance The breastplate was attached to the belt when the Roman soldier put them on. And don't miss the symbolism of anchoring the protective gear of righteousness to truth. And don't forget that your enemy is a liar. He attacks truth. He twists truth. His very first encounter with a human was to question truth. Remember Genesis 3? The serpent says to Eve, did God really say... So your first piece of equipment is truth. If you don't hook your righteousness to truth, it won't protect you. And if you start believing something that isn't true, but using that as your belt, your equipment is going to fail. We must be on a quest for truth at all times. Truth has to encircle us. Where do we find that truth? Jesus. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if any teaching, any sermon, any podcast or book or Twitter thread or blog or mentor of yours or whatever does not line up with the teachings of Jesus, if it goes against him, it's not truth. It's that simple. So we encircle our bodies with truth and then we protect our most vital organs with righteousness and fasten that to truth. Now, What else does Paul have to say? Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist and putting on the breastplate of righteousness by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. So we also need proper shoes for our spiritual battle. A soldier certainly wasn't going to go into battle barefoot. Shoes, or probably sandals for Roman soldiers, would provide protection from the ground and also give the ability to grip the solid foundation of the ground for the soldier to stand against the enemy. So as the soldier advanced, the shoes, of course, would enable him to travel over the ground without stumbling or being hampered. And the analogy here for the footwear is the gospel of peace. The gospel is the foundation on which we stand. And it's a gospel of peace. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle with a spiritual enemy, but we stand on the good news that Jesus came to bring peace 
between us and God. If we didn't have a gospel to stand on, when the enemy came attacking, we'd stumble. And when we tried to advance in our calling, we would waver and move gingerly. The gospel gives us confidence to stand strong and to walk out our calling as Jesus followers. So we have a belt, a breastplate, and footwear. But wait, there's more. In verses 16 through 18, Paul says, And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These verses introduce us to three more pieces of armor. Next, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. A shield is a very important defensive tool for a soldier. Historians believe that one type of a Roman soldier's shield was quite large. There were small round shields and also large rectangular shields, but regardless of style, this defensive weapon would have enabled the soldier to maneuver it no matter what direction the arrows were coming from. And isn't that a great parallel to our faith? No matter how the enemy decides to attack, our faith can defend us. But we have to actively take up our shield. We have to use that shield to deflect the lies, deception, and attacks that come in from all directions. Paul says to take up the shield of faith so we can extinguish the flaming arrows. It's another cause and effect, if you didn't notice. Now, the shield was made of leather and wood, and prior to battle, the soldiers would wet the leather so that as the fiery arrows hit, they would fizzle out and be extinguished. Now, it can sometimes feel like we're under attack from every direction, and it can feel like the attacks are flaming arrows, but our faith can deflect and extinguish those attacks. Faith that the battle may be waging, but the real war is already won. Faith that our defender goes before us and has already defeated our enemy. Faith that we are not alone, but that Jesus walks beside us every step of the way. Faith like a shield. And then Paul says to take on the helmet of salvation. Salvation is a gift given to us. There's a blend of God calling us and wooing us to him and our response and choice to accept that. Now, I could get into the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism here, where one theological view says we don't really have a choice. We're chosen for salvation, so there's no way we can't choose it. And the other view says we have total free will to choose whether we accept salvation or we don't. But I won't do that today. We've talked through those two positions in earlier podcasts in Ephesians. Today, let's think about how salvation relates to a helmet. The purpose of the helmet is to protect the head and, of course, your mind. Regardless of your stance on predestination or free will, salvation requires engagement of your mind. It requires an understanding and acceptance of God's gift. Now, as a little girl, I often connected salvation to accepting Jesus into my heart. But really, it was a desire of my mind. So let's again imagine our original author and original recipients. Paul would have been in prison or house arrest, and he would have likely been in chains and heavily carted. As he wrote these words, I imagine he would have been glancing up from his parchment every few minutes at a Roman soldier or soldiers 
dressed in the armor he used as his illustration. And the soldier had likely made a conscious decision to enter the Roman army. And his Roman army helmet protected his mind. And it's just like the believers Paul was writing to had made a conscious decision to follow Christ. Following Christ was a lot more difficult for first century Christians than a decision to follow Christ in modern America. In the first century, many Christians were brutally killed for their faith. Being a Jesus follower was unpopular. So if someone was a Christian, it was definitely a conscious choice that was risky to make. Salvation was a mental decision. So the helmet of salvation protects our minds. And that brings us to the final piece of armor, the sword. There is so much about the sword that I want to talk about that I'm going to save more discussion on this for our next episode. But notice this at least. It is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned. Each of the other pieces was to defend and protect the soldier, but the sword can be used on the attack. And Paul tells his readers that the sword is of the spirit. And in parentheses, he elaborates that the sword is the word of God. So stick that analogy in the forefront of your mind this week, and we will definitely tackle that as well as the final verses of this letter in our next episode. But what I hope you take away from these first few verses on the armor of God is the call to action we have. Paul uses action verbs throughout this section. Our English translations come out with words and phrases like clothe yourself, put on, take, take up, fit your feet. And there's this visual of a soldier getting dressed every day for battle. We may not feel like we're in a battle as we live our everyday lives, but spiritually, we are. And maybe there are times when the battle seems to wane a bit and not be so relentless. But spiritually speaking, we need to be consistently putting on this armor. If our minds are under attack, we need to cover our thoughts with the promise of salvation and our security in that. If it feels like our armor is falling apart, we need to tighten up that belt of truth and make sure we're relying on the truth of Jesus's teachings to encircle our lives. Or if we feel under attack, we need to take up our faith and hold on to it, using it as a shield to extinguish the fiery arrows thrown our way. This is a continual task of preparing ourselves and using our armor to defend ourselves. Now, Paul repeats himself twice when he gives these instructions and he gives a cause and effect, put on your armor of God so that you can stand firm. My friend, if you are struggling with what seems to be an attack from unseen forces, can I encourage you to evaluate the state of your armor? Let's commit to reviewing this list of armor over the next few days and truly doing a self-evaluation. Are we putting all of these pieces on? Are we even engaged in the spiritual battle? Or are we too invested in our material world to even realize we're being overtaken by a spiritual enemy? I imagine Paul writing this to a small group of new believers miles and miles away from him. As he puts these words down on papyrus, not too far away stands a Roman guard dressed from head to toe in Roman military armor. And I imagine a church in Ephesus reading these words and immediately visualizing the soldiers they might have passed on the way to their house church meeting, soldiers that were common in their everyday experience. Now, centuries have passed since the first time these words were read aloud. No more Roman soldiers roam our roads. And yet, unfortunately, the metaphor of armor is not foreign to us. 
Because no matter what your life experience has been, no doubt you have some visualization, connection, or even personal experience to the military. Paul's message is urgent here, and I believe it transcends culture and time. Let's revisit verses 12 and 13 because they summarize it well. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground. We're in a battle. Let's be ready to stand our ground. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website at www.bibleforttheordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.